Dr. Mona Boudreau was born in Lafayette, Louisiana. She earned her veterinary degree from Louisiana State University in 1987. After graduation, she moved to Idaho and was in private practice there and at Washington State University's emergency service. She then relocated to Albuquerque, New Mexico and started her journey into holistic medicine. She is certified in acupuncture by IVIS and chiropractic by the AVCA. She was mentored in Chinese medicine by Dr. Gary Allen, OMD, and discovered her love for energy medicine. While in New Mexico, she and Dr. Allen began teaching Chinese herbal medicine to small groups of veterinarians, and at the same time, founded her herbal company, A Time to Heal. Dr. Boudreau relocated to Illinois and continued teaching herbal medicine to veterinarians while working in private practice. In addition to her practice and teaching, Dr. Boudreau has served as president of the American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture, as well as the president and executive director of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. Although she sold the herbal business and now identifies as retired, Dr. Boudreau hasn't ruled out another foray into the business world in the future. She's happily living on a small property in the mountains south of Asheville, North Carolina. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Mona Boudreau as we discuss growing up on a farm, aspiring to be a veterinarian as a woman in the 1980s, discovering holistic medicine, and paying attention to what the universe brings you. Dr. Boudreau, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Hey, where'd you grow up? Lafayette, Louisiana, a Cajun. Ah. <laughs> when did you think that you wanted to be a veterinarian? You know, I get asked that a lot, and I don't remember ever making that decision. I just remember my life just took me that way. And yeah. now, in all fairness, I was raised on a farm. So yeah. I think that was probably just the thing you do, you know? Uh -huh. And so I don't remember until I got to college and then I thought, well, maybe I want something easier. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've always, I just, it's almost like I was born with a tattoo that said, I'm going to be a vet. Yeah. I mean, you probably, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably didn't have any female veterinarians as role models, did you or no? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, yeah. when I went to college, I'm going to age myself a little bit. Yeah. When I went to college my first year and you get your advisor, I was told I could not be a vet because I was a woman. Yeah. Guess how well that went over. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at that time, um, I happened to, I went to the supervisor um, and said, you know, what do you mean I can't be a vet? I know women can be veterinarians. And so at that time, the pre-med requ uh, prerequisites are the same as pre-vet. Yeah. And so I just signed up for pre-med for a year until my advisor retired and then switched to pre-vet. Nice. Was that, did you do your undergrad at LSU or? No, I went to what at that time was called USL, uh, University of Southwestern Louisiana, and which is now called University of Louisiana. I did my undergrad there plus two more years because I, it, I <laughs> was not a 4.0 student. And uh, so it took me a little while. So I went six years to college and then finally got accepted on my fourth try and went to LSU, and that's where I went to vet school. Did you uh, were you, did you try anywhere else, or was it L LSU your only option? LSU at that time that I knew, um, you, because we had a school in our state, that was the only one you could apply to. At least that's what I was told. But you know, I probably should have thought, hey, I was also told I couldn't be a vet because I was a woman. I should have questioned it, but um, because I think there were 
a few other options at that time, but probably not um, that would have made any difference. I think the the um, competition would have been the same. Yeah, right. I mean, we're, we're, we graduated about the same time, and, and I don't think – I had no other idea that there was anywhere else but Ohio State that I could go. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. know if, who was taking at-large students even. It was just a – it was just either there or nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and, and cause I remember thinking this was my last time to try to get into vet school. And if I don't get in, then I don't know what I was going to do. Um, and I got the letter, you know, and which was funny because at that time you knew if you got accepted because you got this big envelope, right. Which had yeah. your application. Yeah. Well, it just so happened that year, the fourth time I tried, they changed it and sent you a letter and said your packet application was coming or something like that. Yeah. So I get this small letter and I don't even open it. I start crying because I yeah. think my, you know, everything I've worked for is gone and something made me open it. And all of a sudden I saw that I had gotten accepted and I'm literally in the middle of the street going from tears of sadness to tears of excitement. And just, it, it was just crazy, but yeah, it was, it was your body my body had just gone, kind of gone into such a shock because I, the little letter, you know, the little envelope meant, nope, you didn't get in. That was yeah. it. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I actually do remember too where I was standing even when I opened the, opened mine. Um, how big was your class? You know, I'm not a numbers kind of person, um, yeah. but I want to, for some reason, I think the numbers we had was close to the year I graduated. So it was in the eighties, something yeah. like that. We yeah. lost a couple of people in our class, but, um, I think, but I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure. Vet school was not one of my best times. Um, I know a lot of people enjoyed it. Um, it was quite challenging because that's really when I discovered my learning disabilities and I struggled until like the end of my third year. And then, you know, cause for me, I'm a touch. Yeah. Do uh, apprenticeships would be perfect for me. Right. Yeah. And so to learn and memorize all these words and stuff like that, that I had trouble spelling and things like that was just challenging. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't, so I, I don't remember much of yeah. my vet school days cause I just kind of blocked it out. Yeah. 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 I, and I assume the minority were women at that time. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. I want to say maybe it's definitely less than a quarter. Um, I mean, quite a bit different than now. I mean, that it's, yeah. I, I see the classes now and I just smile and I say, yeah, <laughs> finally sure. the tables have turned. <laughs> did you, did you have any idea what sort of medicine you wanted? To, I mean, when did that come to you? What sort of medicine you wanted to practice? You know, it was weird. Um, I think for me, I always wanted to work in a zoo. I think it's kind of like little boys always want to be firemen, you know? Yeah. I think veterinarians, I think a lot of us have this stage where we want to be a zoo vet because we want to play with very odd or unique animals or play with the tiger and the elephants and stuff. Um, but when I got to my fourth year, I love surgery. Anything that I can do with my hands is, that's my gift, is my hands, well, my hands and my heart. That's where all my information comes from. And, um, so I thought I was going to be a board certified surgeon. And again, I wasn't a 4.0 student. Um, I was still in the top of my class, but I wasn't 4.0. And, and, um, so I, I didn't apply. Um, well, I was told I couldn't, I didn't have good enough grades. And, um, I actually, 
I, I wasn't going to accept no this time. So I actually reached out and Kansas State offered me a position to get a master's program um, in biotechnology or something to where I would have done two years of microbiology and then they would have put me into uh, surgical research, which would have landed me a surgical residency. Yeah. But for someone who has trouble with words they can't feel, <laughs> yeah. that was not going to be an option. And so I didn't take it. And I, um, and also life works for you. Um, I got in a really bad, I painted houses to get through school. Yeah. And um, a week, probably about a week before around graduation, I fell two stories and hit cement Ugh. and crushed a gallon paint can with my face. And busted my knee open and had, I had to have sutures in quite a few places. And um, so I ended up having surgery about a month later because I, they took me and I didn't have anything broken, quote unquote, but they sutured me up and everything. But we found out later that I had um, torn my medial meniscus, uh, couple of ligaments and joint capsule, blah, blah, blah. So I had to have surgery about yeah. a month later. And so I was out. I, I had to give up my job that I was, I had a job, um, in new Orleans and, um, I had to give that up. And so basically the next few months, I just kind of tried to figure out what I was going to do being, I couldn't walk. So I was on crutches. So, so what happened? I, up, I moved to, um, Idaho. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You know, um, love makes you do things sometimes. And, and so, um, I, my partner at the time, um, got a, um, master's program offering. And so I figured I was, you know, I didn't have anything here, so why not move and just discover? Cause I'd always lived in Louisiana and I moved up there and ended up doing research at Washington state university for a couple of years. And then I worked in as the emergency technologist or doctor, whatever you want to call it, um, at Washington state vet school. So there was two of us and we basically ran the vet school at night. So we mm -hmm. taught ICU students, worked with the interns, residents, blah, blah, blah. It was a new program that was developed. And at that time was when I thought about going into emergency medicine because I liked the excitement. Yeah. So surgery kind of went off the record, but, um, after that, I went back into private practice and did a lot more surgery, kind of went back into surgery. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't like the, um, working at night and then shifting my days and nights that was challenging. So then I kind yeah. of went back to surgery after that. Nice. So when did the idea of holistic medicine get in your head? Ah, the, the, the famous question. Yeah. Um, in 1992, so I graduated in 87 yeah. And so basically five years after I graduated, I had had enough. Yeah. I realized that I didn't want to be a vet anymore. I was getting sick to my stomach. It just wasn't what I thought it would be. It, the medicine I was practicing, um, it just didn't feel right to me in my gut. It felt like there should be something more, you know, just giving vaccines to everybody. It just didn't make sense. There were things that I couldn't medically define, but didn't feel right. And, um, and even though I was very good at, you know, being a veterinarian and I did everything according to Western medicine, it, there were just some things that just didn't feel right. And I wasn't happy. 
And so I was getting ready to give up being a veterinarian and try and figure out something else. And um, I was a smoker at the time. And I went to an acupuncturist to quit smoking. And I literally quit in that day. And no side effects, no nothing, no weight gain, no nothing. And I thought anything that could override this stubborn brain of mine, there's got to be something to it. And I signed up for the IVIS course and my whole life changed. And it was like, you know, you, you hear da, 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 you know, and your whole life just kind of flashes in front of you and the doors open and the angels sing. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. And I literally from that moment on took every, I was li- living um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which at the time was kind of like the holistic Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to every single human. Cause at that time they really didn't have a lot for vets in holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to every single lecture I could go to. BHI was um, the factory. The business was there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Golden Flower was there. There was, you know, all these herbal companies, all this stuff. And um, and a very sweet man, one of my teachers, took me under. He was actually cleaning the vet clinics that I worked at at the time and was going to ac- acupuncture school. And he offered to help me and teach me. And we ended up sharing office space and he took me under his wing. And Dr. Gally, Gary Allen, I have to say, is probably is probably the person that got me to the vet that most people in the holistic community know me um, for. He taught me herbal medicine. He, he started lecturing for me um, and we started the school together. I mean, he... He literally just took me under his wing and, and I owe everything to him as far as my knowledge with herbal medicine. Yeah. When did you do, uh, you did the options course. Yeah. Yep. I did. So, um, so it was 93, I believe I may be off a year or two with dates, Yeah. Um, but I think it was in 93 that I took the IVIS course. And I think it was two years later, a group of us, um, I think I started TAing. I did. I TA'd for the IVIS course for like, I think three years after, and then hosted it in Albuquerque, I think the fourth year. Uh And I think it was the second, two years after that a bunch of us went and took the chiropractic course. And, um, and so I got certified in Cairo at that time. And, um, and I was taking some homeopathy courses at that time, but that still didn't quite make sense to me, yeah. but I was also doing a lot with energy medicine. Um, and just kind of start, you know, like I tried learning Reiki. Um, and then I ended up taking, um, I wanted to get more into the energy without needles, without herbs, without anything. And I, um, took Qigong, um, medical Qigong with Dr. Johnson. And, um, I went, God, that was probably in the late early two thousands. And that again was those ta-da moments where, oh my gosh, I saw things happen that I never would have believed. And, um, I ended up finishing that course and, and that was, and in that process, I think a little bit in, in, um, in the time period between Albuquerque and the Qigong, I had a client who was an actress yeah, who had a sick dog and basically hired me and shipped me all over the United States um, to learn from all these experts. Yeah. 
I was a, again, you know, when the universe shows you where to go, you just kind of run with it. Yeah. And I literally started learning from a lot of these huge teachers. And so, I mean, even going, she sent me to Mexico to learn from some human doctors about cancer and ozone therapy. And, yeah. and I mean, it was just amazing. And, and, and that lasted for mm, probably a, anywhere from six months to eight months while doing my um, regular job. So I, I had a lot of opportunities to learn a lot of different skills uh-huh. um, and energetic methods, modalities, whatever you want to call it. And so by that time, by the time that I moved to Illinois, um, I had kind of diversified foundation on, in, in my belt. Yeah. Yeah. So when, about when did you, sh- did you go, did you go to Illinois? <laughs> I left for Illinois, I think two weeks after 9-11. Okay. okay. It was kind of one of those things that I wanted to move, wanted to move. I needed a change. I needed a, a shift. And 9-11 happened. And I literally said, okay, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Make it happen. And I I think it was two weeks. I literally packed up my stuff, uh, called my clients and some of my clients that were my friends and said, um, can you come help me? I want to pack up this vehicle and leave in three days. And so I literally packed up my house and left and moved wow. to Illinois. What kind of practice did you do up there then? I was working for another veterinarian, um, another HVMA member, Dr. Deb Mitchell. Yeah. I worked with her and, um, but I, I was doing mainly practice management and then stepping in as a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, cause after, so in that process of in Albuquerque, when the Dr. Gary Allen took me under his wing, I, yeah. I opened my own practice where I only did alternative medicine. Yeah. Um, I didn't do blood work. I didn't do vaccines. I didn't do x-rays, nothing. I worked with the vets so that I could educate them. And so we ended up having a really good relationship and I knew that I did not want to go back into Western medicine to where I had, you know, kind of. An ophthalmologist only works with eyes, right? Yeah. A dermatologist only works with skin. And I realized that I only wanted to work with energy, yeah. whatever that may be. And so when I moved to Illinois, I love practice management. I love helping clinics or businesses either change, shift, grow, whatever, develop. And so um, I worked with her and then I did part-time um, as a vet there. Um, and, and, and during that time was when I moved the herbal business and the school to Illinois. And then I started doing that full time and then we just kind of grew. So the, the, both of those things started in, in Albuquerque. The, yeah. The herb, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, so what happened, it was kind of funny cause we started with a class. The first class I think had five or seven people Yeah. and I, and here's going to be the shocker of this whole thing. Yeah. I don't like herbs. <laughs> <laughs> Cindy Lankenau has been trying to interview me for a long time. And I said, Cindy, you don't want to. And I, she goes, why? I said, because I don't like herbs. She goes, what do you mean you own an herbal business? I said, I get it. But to me, I love the feel of the uh-huh. energetics of herbs, but yeah. the names are very challenging for me. So it's like pharmacology. Yeah. And that's very challenging for me. So give me acupuncture where I can feel and I can put a needle and, and if I can work in, in which now I do work intuitively with the herbs. And so now I do like them. I just don't like the names and I don't like having to memorize the linear processes and the chemical compounds of them. Sure. Like some of these people can. Um, so I had Dr. Allen lecture to the vets mm-hmm. 
And what ended up happening is the students started asking me questions and my ego said, well, Mona, you're supposed to know this. If you keep referring, you're going to look pretty stupid. So that's when I learned herbal medicine because my ego said you had to learn it. And so, yeah, both of them started at the same. And so when we started teaching, they kept buying us out. They would come to Albuquerque and we would treat them in the evenings to, to, to learn. Yeah. And they would get herbs and then they'd talk to us about cases and, and they would buy us, you know, buy all our herbs. And so we thought, well, okay, let's, and I had made some mistakes with herbal medicine by buying patents that I didn't know had chemicals in them or yeah. drugs in them or yeah. things like that. I'd made or buying the same thing from different companies. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we just kind of started the, it, the herbal business just kind of started from the teaching because people were, coming in and wanted something that they didn't have to do the research to figure out who was good and who was not. Okay. So you were teaching the classes at the lake then in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I made it kind of a retreat because, you know, we don't take care of ourselves very well. And class size was pretty small, as I recall. Always. Yes. It, the max, I think the largest we ever had may have been 17. Um, what happened is I lived, um, on a lake and I bought the house next to me and, um, we had something like 15 to 17 bunk beds, beds, all these kind of things. And people could stay there or they could stay in a hotel. And, um, I had jet ski boat, pontoon boat, um, canoe, things like that for people to relax. And we did Qigong in the morning or meditation and the teachers stayed in my house and the students stayed in the other. And so you actually got to be interactive. And that's when Steve Marsden came into the picture. Yeah. And so Steve, um, Gary, I think we did one or two classes there, but then he kind of wanted to retire. And then it just happened. Steve came and asked me if I wanted to go into, if we could join forces. And that's when we started Steve Marsden, Mona Show. <laughs> gotcha. When, uh, how long has it been since the since you stopped teaching the cl- that class? Oh, good question. Um, I think it was 2013. I sold a Time to Heal in 2015, so I think it was 2013 because I sold the house. Yeah, and so I didn't have a place to to host it. Um, and plus I think at that time I was kind of lecturing more at yeah, different yeah. conferences. So I, and so was Steve. So I think it just kind of, um, morphed into, um, we, we just didn't put it at another place. Gotcha. So classes stopped in 2013. You sold the herb business in 2015. Yeah. Roughly. We, um, I, again, you know, life works for you. Um, when you, when you listen and what had happened is it, it was growing too big. I couldn't keep up. Yeah. And so I was looking at to having distributorships yeah. throughout the United States and then kind of, and basically help someone start another portion of the business. And then I would just kind of merge out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my students, Dr. Nate Heilman and Therese approached me because I had approached them to do the Northeast. And um, they approached me and said, what if we buy the whole thing? And I went, huh? <laughs> yeah. And uh it you know it was a beautiful thing. We kind of talked about it and it was, you know, it was really nice and then we kind of didn't talk for a while and and then we said, okay, if we're going to do this, you know, we need to talk. And literally in 30 days, we developed a multi-contract 
win-win situation for them and me in order to transfer the business to them. And it it was amazing. It, it was truly, you know, I've never seen a business go transition so smoothly. It, it was, and they have, and you know, when you start something, as you well know, when you have a baby that you start and you grow, to let it go is sometimes challenging. Yeah. Um, and so I am very proud to say that they really kept my feelings. Um, they they didn't just put it aside, right? They yeah. made me feel like I was still a part and it was still kind of my baby. It was just my child going to college, yeah, you know, and yeah. I had to kind of let go. And, and so it was, and they've done wonderful with it. They've taken it to the next level that I just didn't have the time to do. They literally grew it in the first year. It was amazing. That's got to be gratifying, right? To see all that hard work, not just go to waste, so to speak, you know, for someone. Absolutely. Because I thought I was just yeah. going to have to close it you know, one day. And so I was really, or sell it to someone who wouldn't put the, wouldn't keep the integrity of the business. And, um, I would have just let it go and closed it. Yeah. Oh, so man. yes, they, they have done, I I'm extremely impressed with, with what they've done. And in each year they grow even through COVID and with all the trials and, you know, with FDA and herbal medicine and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so much behind the scenes that the average vet does not know about. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been wonderful just, you know, working with them. I kind of marvel at, I, I, like you say, I have no idea. I have a, an inkling of what kind of work it would be for them and the idea that they can carry on this business and their practice at the same time. It just kind of boggles my mind. Yeah. Well, it, it, the way that I understand it. And so Therese is the, I guess you would call it CEO, the, 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 the top person, right? Yeah. And Nate is for the clinic. And so, but right now, from what I know, um, I think they're building a building to put the two together. And yeah. so, you know, so instead of renting from someone else, right, you buy your own building or make, you know, build it, whatever. And so it's, and I think that was always kind of a dream for them was to have it together and have it be there. So all, every aspect of it would be a financial investment for them. I saw some pictures the other day. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. That was, yeah. I think we probably saw the, the pictures for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to um, just go back. Um, at some point, I don't know the timeline, but you were president of the AAVA. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I wish had, I could tell you what year that was. I, to, I don't, I, I know I was the fifth president. That's all yeah, I know. <laughs> so that was pretty early. Um, have you, did you get involved in organized veterinary medicine, so to speak, you know, the associations pretty early on or? Ask that a different way, because I'm not sure I'm understanding your question. Like after you'd started your journey into doing and learning this stuff, did you get involved in the AHVMA and did you become a member, start going to meetings or? Um, well, so I, I, as soon as I took Ivis, yeah. I went to HVMA meeting. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. And you know, you know me, I, I, I don't know how not to get involved in stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, did I ever think I was going to get involved and be politically involved? No. Yeah. No. Um, and so AAVA presidency was, um, was a, a, a new journey for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I learned a lot and 
Um, and I think that's kind of what prepped me for being, um, AHVMA president. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me the the way that I got in was because I was TAing and then hosted the acupuncture course. So I ended up working kind of on the sidelines, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then that got me involved, I think, um, with AAVA, which then once, you know, it's kind of like once you're president or something like that, then all of a sudden other organizations start looking at you. And so they kind of just, as you know, and so you kind of transfer to another. Um, and I think that's, and I was at the time I was chair, um, of the COE, I think, or co-chair or something with Steve Blake. Um, I think I might've been chair. They had asked me, I was like one of the few non white haired people that got asked to be on the COE. Yeah. And at that time um, they had a COE rep on the HVMA board calls. And so I think that's probably really what got things started to um, be in, in the political, you know, realm of the running of an organization. Yeah. If you don't mind, I just want to, if we talked about on the phone the other week, but if we could talk now about just how taxing and how unprepared we are as veterinarians to run an organization like that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in general, in all fairness, um, we're not taught business, right? Yeah. So there's the first strike. Um, We are not paid well and way overworked and we don't take care of ourselves. So I don't know if that's strike two and three or just strike two, but the bottom line is I feel like we're kind of striking out before we ever get started. And so, and then we come into this nonprofit, right. And it's, um, which is usually an organization that we feel like is family that we belong to for whatever reason. And we're put in a position to make boundaries or growth. And that's sometimes challenging, just like in, in our own practices. So um, it, um, I think, you know, being a AVA president and I was really hard on myself because I didn't get done the things I wanted to get done due yeah. to my own um, insecurity. And so when HVMA president, I swore to myself that I would not let that happen again. And I was also in a position to where I basically gave up I mean, I, I had my business running without me, um, virtually, Yeah, you know, so it's almost like with COVID. Um, and so I was able to basically take a year and do just the presidency and executive director. And again, I was lucky enough that I had Bob Harris, who is the guy that teaches all executive directors, take me under his wing and basically help me. And everyone and, 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 you know, when we work together, we're great at working together. I think it's just a matter of sometimes we don't know where we have to work towards. And so as long as we get people that help us, we're great. I mean, look at the powerhouses we have on the board right now. And so it's once we have that direction and that understanding, yet I just think that a lot of times we have no clue what that understanding or knowledge is that's needed to be on a board and what needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go. So now you're back, I guess we should say in the Southeast. Yeah. Yes. Um, you've been a lot of places. I mean, what's, do you have a favorite of the places you've lived? Oh, right here, right now. 
Um, I moved after I sold, I always wanted to move back down South Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a Southern girl. I I need the warmth and uh, I wanted to retire and um, I I wanted a little farm, you know, kind of go, you know, it's almost like your life kind of goes back to when you were a child, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember learning how to play softball, running through a field of cow patties, catching fly balls for hours in a day. Right. Mm -hmm. And riding a mini bike through those cow patties, you know, and riding (laughs) horses and, you know, things like that, that just brings such joy. Right. And so after I sold the business, I, um, I'm trying to think I'm, I was started looking, I had a dream that I would move to Asheville. I got a little farm out here. And yeah. it, so I have the benefit of the South mm-hmm. without, um, boy, here's where I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I, I wanted a place where people can be who they want and there's no prejudice. Yeah. Um, and so I knew I couldn't live up North cause it's too cold yeah. and I couldn't live too far south because I was raised in a very prejudiced type environment. Mm-hmm. So um, I found something that was just a little bit of both. So um, yeah. I live just south of Asheville and it's a very artistic, you know, creative, very individualistic type environment. And I live on a farm and I have two pigs that I laugh every night when I let my little baby pig to come into the cat room to sleep at night. Cause my relatives are just probably turning over and having going, Oh my God, she's lost it. You know? Yeah. But I have a, I have two pet pigs and I have nine chickens and a goat and two cats and two dogs. And of course my partner. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, this is my favorite. This is, um, you know, right now when I'm talking to you, I'm just looking out on my front yard and it's just gorgeous. And there's bears and there's uh, strays and there's wild turkeys and there's hawks and there's butterflies. And it's just, it just feels so good. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Mona, thanks so much for everything. Thanks for being you. I love you. And thanks for everything you've done for, for our community. Oh, thank you. I love you. And, and thank you for saying yes whenever I asked. <laughs> because it's people like you that only allowed, you know, so many things to be done. And thank you for being on the board and everything that you do, because your story is not that different than mine. You've been president for multiple organizations and still serving. And um, you know, the only difference is that I'm out of veterinary medicine and you're still in it. Yet I'm, I'm, I've realized retirement's not my thing. Yeah. And so I'm looking to start a new business, but not in medicine. Yeah. And uh, we'll see where that goes. Cool. All right, Mona. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.